Good morning, good morning, everybody. Welcome. It's another Sunday, another opportunity to be grateful for life, to just be excited about life. Just, you know, relax in God's presence, wait to see his glory. All right. Uh, welcome, everybody. Welcome, everybody. Those of you who are here, those of you who are watching online, and those of you who will be listening on the podcast. Thank you guys for being a part of us today. All right. We'll say a quick prayer as usual. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for another day. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you, to come before you humble, with humble hearts, surrendering ourselves to you and asking for grace, asking for your mercy, asking for your presence in our lives, asking, oh God, that you give us ears to hear you, asking, oh God, for the grace to be true disciples, to listen to your word, to hear your word, and to be doers of your word, to bring glory to your name in our lives, oh God. This, we thank you, oh God, for giving us the privilege we have in such a time as this, oh God, that we may be called your own, that we may draw closer to your throne of grace and receive mercy. We just adore you this morning. We enthrone you, Father. Teach us this morning. Teach us as your disciples. Draw us closer to you and be a wall of fire around us in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Okay, let's do a quick recap on what we have been teaching. Today, we will be talking about worship. And we'll kind of recap on what we have been talking about so we kind of get an understanding of why today's topic is worship. So this is a continuation of the discipleship series. When we first started the series, we were talking about Jesus. How? What's the, what's the value of being a disciple, right? What it is to be a disciple. Why should we be his disciples? And what does Jesus expect of the disciples? And then we pivoted into what we are talking about right now. Knowing Jesus through his works and through his words. Alright? And the first thing we talked about was, you know, when Jesus began to declare his uh, message and to preach, he was... His first message was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? And then we started to look into the concept of what the kingdom is right we talked about we understood the name in hebrew the kingdom is mamlacha in greek it is basilia and we know how the word basilia has evolved like we since i mentioned basilica you know you understand that the kingdom itself is not so much as uh, an authority a physical authority but the ethereal power that comes from above which man cannot have right it's a it's it's what makes something powerful the the actual authority that makes something powerful and that authority comes from god it belongs to god um and then we broke the idea of kingdom down into what does it mean to be the kingdom of god and we looked at the nation of israel when um the two kingdoms were split in two uh one kingdom was following god the kingdom of judah and the the southern kingdom of Benjamin, because they called them the kingdom of Judah, but Benjamin was kind of encased within Judah. And then the northern ten tribes, who obviously were serving the golden calves and consecrating priests to idols, there were no gods. And one of the kingdom, Judah, said to Israel, you know, you have gone your own way, following your own practices, but we have continued to follow our God, to keep his ordinances, to... Um, you know, follow the kings that, that the God has instituted over the kingdom of, of Israel 
through the sons of David, and we have continued in the priesthood of Aaron and the sons of Aaron, right? And then we uh, pivoted into looking at, uh, you know, the different offices within the kingdom. We have the kingship office. First, it was God who was the king, and then obviously they chose the king for themselves. But out of those that they chose, God selected for himself and made a covenant with David, and it was a covenant of salt. So it was to be a, um, an everlasting covenant because through this we know the Messiah came and he took upon the, he took the throne and he's enthroned right now and he's our he's our king he's our Messiah the Anointed One <coughs> the other office is the office of the priesthood so we talked look at the word Messiah right when we were talking about Jesus how was he known and he says uh, you are the Messiah you're the Anointed One right and we said this comes by revelation. Now, there are two people who are anointed, right? We always talk about, when they say Mashiach, the anointed one, we always think about the king, the son of David, right? But the priests are also anointed, right? The priesthood office is also an anointed office, so he also is a Mashiach. So when we started to look about the priesthood, we talked about how, you know, the high priesthood, how the sons of Aaron were serving, right? We looked at the Levites, how they were serving in Tabernacle, and we talked about the temple. And then we compared this to Christ Jesus, and we said that he is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, what is the order of Melchizedek? Who knows? Miracle? What was so special about Melchizedek? He was a king and a priest. So, exactly. So, Michaela, were you raising your hand because you wanted to say something? Okay, I thought you wanted to say something. All right, so he was a kingly priest. And that is that is the prophecy, right? That he would be the in the order of Melchizedek. Which means he wasn't supposed to just be king. He was also supposed to be a priest. And so we say, we begin to talk about the fact that he's a high priest. We look at the temple, the way the temple is divided. We looked at John the Baptist's role, how John the Baptist was descended from a priest, and how he baptized Jesus, and the significance of that baptism that had to take place. Right. I know Spring is not here, but Spring had a question last week when she was talking about Zachariah, when we were looking at how the two offices shall become one, and we were looking through the uh, Zachariah chapter 6. I think that's where her, her question was coming from. So uh, we'll kind of start today's uh, um, study with Zechariah chapter 3. Is she coming today? No? Okay. Okay, all right, that's fine. All right, we'll just read uh, Zechariah chapter 3 from verse 1 to 10. Michaela, do you want to take that one? Look for Zechariah chapter 3 uh, from verse 1 to 10. Yeah, Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 3 from verse 1 through to 10. Joshua was dressed in purple clothes and stood for the angel. The angel 
So, uh, that is just an intro to how God begins to speak and say that Joshua, the high priest, Yehoshua, the high priest, is for an omen, is for a sign. Him and his men with him, right? God begins to reveal the fact that I will bring forth my branch, right? I haven't done a thorough study on the ancestry of uh, Joshua, the high priest, to know if he actually had a, a lineage from the line of Judah or from the lines of David. I haven't done that yet. So I will probably go and look at that. But from what we can tell from all that we know, he was definitely uh, Levite, a Levitical uh, lineage and a high priest. Well, the turban that was to be put on his head was usually a turban that the high priest would wear, right? Into the Holy of Holy. And it will have the, the inscription, Holy to the Lord, right? So we know um, that definitely uh, Zechariah, when Zechariah was prophesying, he was telling Yeshua the high priest that you will be assigned to, to many people, right? And then when you, by the time you get to chapter 6, when he begins to say, go and put a crown upon his head, right? We begin to see the prophecy beginning to link to the fact that the priesthood office and the kingship office will become uh, one and the same. So the reason why I'm kind of talking about all of these, we last week we went extensively and we talked about how the temple was divided. We talked about the bronze altar where all the burnt offerings are offered and how Jesus dying outside the camp was a fulfillment of that kind of uh, foreshadow. And we talked about the holy place where the incense and the gold and the bread of the presence were being offered and how again, um, the priestly duties are done in that in that section and how Christ fulfilled it in the book of Revelations when he says he's the one who walks amongst the golden candlesticks, right? And then we looked at the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant and how everything within the Ark of the Covenant is a symbolic for who Christ is and what he represents to us. Now, what is the point of knowing all of these things, right? The point of knowing all of these things is to understand that we've been called to worship. And God has specific prescriptions on how to worship. You can't just, if you think about the story of uh, Abihu and um, the two sons of Aaron that died, what happened? They drew close to God with strength fire, meaning that they offered up worship in a way that wasn't prescribed by God. Right? Let's look at a couple of scriptures first. We're going to look at what Christ says um, in some areas. So, Matthew 22. 34 to 40. Let me see. No, actually, no, let's go to Revelation first. Let's go to Revelation chapter 7, uh, from verse 10. 
Hannah, do you want to read for us? Do you know where Revelation is? Revelation uh, Revelation 7, 10 to 17. Revelations, do you know where it is? It's a last book in the Bible. You see it? And then what about the last one? Seven. Amen. Thank you. So we see the pay attention to where it says in fifteen. And they therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. What do you do in the temple? You worship, you offer sacrifices, you bow in worship. And then before that, we see that in um, in verse 11, it says, And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne of their faces, and they worshipped. But when you look at this also, you also see the fact that the throne is in the midst of the temple. It says they fell before the throne and they worshipped him in his temple. The throne and the temple are together, right? In God, in the, in the heavens, it's not, you know, obviously in Jerusalem before, um, what's his name? David brought the, made Jerusalem the capital. When, before he brought the ark down from Shiloh, the ark was far away, which means the temple was far away. And the king's palace, the throne was far away. But even when he brought it into Jerusalem, the city of David was not the same place as where the, the temple was, but we see that in God's presence, right? Both the ark, the, the covenant, the, the throne, and the temple are in the same place. So we are called into worship. So let's look at something else. Let's look at um, Isaiah 61, verse 6. Jones, help us. 
Isaiah 61, verse 6. So what is God saying to Israel when he calls Israel? You shall be a priest of the Lord and a minister of the Lord. These are people who serve God constantly, right? This is what he's calling us into. Let's look at another one. Exodus 19, 5 to 6. Do you want to read a So this is what God is telling Moses, Moses is telling him of Israel. That if you obey my voice, you shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Right? We see the same thing reiterated by Peter when he's writing to the church. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Sister Isaiah, you want to take that one? Yes. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. about and how we should worship okay uh, revelations 1 verse 4 to 6 revelations 1 hannah can you read that for me please still the book of revelations the last one okay revelations chapter 1 from verse 4 through 6 
Yeah, from four to six, yes. I will read this one. Matthew 22, uh, 34 to 40. <clears throat> okay. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Well, we're over here to see how Jesus says, how Jesus confirms how we should worship, right? Um... In this chapter, we there's a lot of conversation happening. First, the Sadducees come and test him. The Pharisees are there as well. Well, let's start from verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, lawyer just means he knows the Torah. He's he's very learned in the Torah. He's someone who would defend the Torah in the courts. So they have what the, the uh, Sanhedrin, which is where they would hold people who violate the law, right? Uh, who People who violate the Torah, and they either persecute them, find them, find them guilty, or find them innocent. So he's a lawyer, which means he's very adept in the, in the biblical studies. Um, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Another version will say, This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. But I want us to kind of understand the greatest commandment. What Jesus is saying is the greatest commandment. 
to love God with all of your heart, all of your strength, all of your mind. I always wonder why I hear people say, this is your Christianity you carried on your head though. Especially Nigerians, right? If you understand the gravity of, you have to love the Lord with all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. You love everything about you, your fiber, every fiber of your being. It's not just, it's not a duty where you go and you worship. Uh, in the, maybe like five o'clock, it's time to pray, you go and pray. It's uh, Sunday, I have to go and pray, it's time to go and worship now. No, it says with your might, your soul with your strength, with every fiber of your being. Which means that when you're speaking to somebody else, you're worshiping God, you're showing forth His praise. When you're in the office, doing your daily job, you are showing forth His praise. You're in the spirit of worship at all times. God is your number one priority. When you are doing whatever it is that you're doing, you're representing your God. You're showing forth your God wherever you are. That's why He says, let your light so shine. So that when men see your good works, they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. All right, let's look at uh, another one. When Jesus, this is this is the first form of worship, the idea of loving God, and that's why I always say it's not easy to teach somebody to love somebody. It's a difficult thing when you start to tell somebody to love the Lord. It's easy to tell somebody to repent because if you are not scared of God, you should be, <laughs> because this is said, don't fear who can punish your skin, but be scared of the one. Who will not only kill you in the flesh, but he will destroy your soul in hell and get him. So if you're not fear, uh, fearful of him, you should be afraid of him, right? But to take it to the next level, you have to love him. And that is a difficult teaching to teach. You can't teach somebody how to love somebody else. It takes grace to be able to love in that way. To be able to love God with all of your heart, with all of your might, with all of your strength, it takes God to love him in that and that level. And that is the first form of worship. The loving God is the first and highest form of worship. And that is how he has called us to worship him. And let's look at, uh, let's see, John chapter 4. John chapter 4, from verse 5 to 25. This one's a long one. It's the story of the woman at the well. Um, Four, John 4, 5 through uh, 25. Michaela, do you want to read half of that for us? So go from four, uh, John 4, from verse 5 through to verse 15, right? That's 10 chapters. That's 10 verses. And then you do 10 verses, sister. So, so she will do from 5 through 15, that's 10 verses, and then you will do 16 through 25. Yes? Right. Yeah, that, there's a difference between the both of them. You're looking for John, the one that is after uh, Mark. Remember the, the four that you have to read and memorize? No, John chapter four. Okay, let me read the first. No, I have it right here. <laughs> let, let her go first. See. John, John 4, from verse 5 through the 15. Okay. So when he came to a town in Samaria called St. John, near the flocks of the ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob, Jacob's well was there, 
Did they say Abraham or did they say Jacob? Okay, uh, that's, oh, okay, you, you can go 15, uh-huh. No, okay. Or read 15, sorry. <laughs> the woman said to him, sir, give me this water, so I will be thirsty, and I'll keep coming to the beer to come on. All right, thank you. All right. And Jesus said unto her, go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou, thou now hast is not thy husband. In that sayest thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye, ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah's comet, which is called Christ, when he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speaketh unto thee am he. So this story uh, is being told over and over again. Everybody talking about the woman at the well, right? They've broken it down into different things. So I've heard people talk about how the fact that, oh, she had five husbands. She must be a, a loose woman, but Jesus didn't see her sins. Others will say, oh, she was a Samaritan, and Samaritans, the Jews view the Samaritans as lesser breed or whatever. The truth of the story is that when Jesus is telling the story of the Good Samaritan, at the time of Jesus, the Samaritans were at war with those of Judea, meaning that they physically, if you go past Samaria, they will beat you up. There was a true, uh, there's a true, uh, what's his name? Josephus talks about the story how one uh, Judean went to Samaria to collect property and the Samaritans beat him up and killed him. And so the Judeans brought their case before uh, Herod, asking him that he should come and uh, settle their case. And they, uh, Herod took the side of the Samaritans, and that's why they had strife between the both of them. All right, so there was actual physical contention, not because one person was perceived as a lesser breed or that the, they were descended from a tribe that wasn't pure. There was nothing such like that. That is just made up history, historical uh, ideas. 
the one thing you have to pay attention to the fact is that she, first of all, she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? She identifies herself as a descendant of Jacob. That's number one. Number two, in those days, if a man, you know, divorces you, there's nothing you can do. You don't have a home for yourself. You don't have provisions for yourself. You just have to wait to be remarried or something of that sort. Now, if she has been divorced five different times and she has to lean on another man to take care of her, it doesn't mean that in that society she's seen as a, as a harlot or a prostitute or anything like that. It's just seen that she's dependent on a husband to take care of her, right? And at that point, if you look at her conversation with Jesus, she says, I know that Messiah is coming. Why does she know that Messiah is coming? She's a worshiper. She's a worshiper. She's holding on to God. She's waiting for God for the promise of the Messiah. Yeah, the Hebrew faith. She's, she actually knows the prophecies that Messiah is coming. So she's looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And so Jesus is meeting her at a point of her faith where she knows Messiah is coming. And he's revealing herself, himself to her that I am that one that you're waiting for to come. Right? And then, well, guess the question she How should we worship? Should we worship in this mountain? Or should we go all the way to Jerusalem to worship? Because she has heard them tell her that, no, don't go to Jerusalem to worship. Worship here in this mountain. So she's beginning to question and ask and say, what is the right thing? What should I do? Should I worship here or should I go worship in Jerusalem? She wants to worship in the right way. And then Christ reveals to her that the time is coming and it's even now that you won't need to worship here or in Jerusalem. You have to worship in spirit and truth because God is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is searching for those who will love him with all of their hearts. That is the meaning of spirit and in truth. Your spirit testifies your love for God, your hunger for God. Yesterday, we were watching a movie. Um, me and Eugene were watching a movie. And this movie, uh, what's the name? Can you remember? Oh, it was Luther, The Falling Sun. Right? And, and the story is about how this guy, he runs an underground bunker where people actually do all kinds of weird stuff. And they watch people kill each other and all that kind of nonsense. But I began to see something that, the truth is, the difference between those people who are perverted like that, is just that the whole world is perverted. You won't find a Nigerian doing something like that because he's hungry. Well, you, like you said during the prayer service that we were having last night, that someone came out on the streets and was saying it's our festival, and they were doing all kinds of sacrifices. There are different levels of evil to the mind, right? The ones in, the, in first world countries, they can't do uh, voodoo. So what do they do? They do all kinds of other things. <laughs> all kinds of other stuff, like like child abuse and all of that. It's all different levels of evil. That's, what, that's why we preach Christ. That's why I would say it, is, it takes Christ to save a man from the bondage of darkness. Because at the point, the guy who's, uh, without doing any spoiler for those who would like to watch it, I wouldn't advise people to watch it. If you want to watch it, watch it on your own. But the thing is, um, the guy who's like the main villain, the guy who's the main villain, uh, Eugene was saying something like they should kill all those people like that. I was telling him that, that guy is already dead. He died as a child. He's just a walking zombie. Like his body is just a temple for, for the devil to do all kinds of chaos for. But the real guy, 
that that you see right there, the guy died when he was a child. Because it started from one way. One way, one thing happens in their childhood. One thing happens to their mind. One thing scarred their mind. And then before you know it, they entertain all kinds of emotional abuse. They entertain all kinds of um, thoughts. And those thoughts multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And before you knew, the innocent child died in his childhood. And all you have is a man who is full of evil spirits walking around. That, that's why we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel because it takes Christ to bring a man into salvation. It takes Christ to break the chains of bondage. It takes Christ to change a mindset. It, cha- it takes Christ to draw a man to a space where he can love God and worship in spirit and in truth. We can try to do it ourselves, but the truth is we will fail, right? It takes God to bring us to that spot. All right, so we just read the John chapter four. I'm gonna read one last chapter. But before I read that chapter, I want to share something that I read yesterday that I, I, I thought was a really, this is my, um, this is our daily devotional, uh, daily devotional book. So the one for yesterday, I'm going to read it uh, with you guys and share it with you, right? Uh, the scripture was taken from Romans chapter 6 verse 19. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness. The book of Jonah records that when God called this prophet Jonah, Jonah was prepared to escape to Tarshish. This is in Jonah chapter one, verse three. He tried to escape. As you know, Jonah wound up getting into a lot of trouble and not to mention getting into a fish. But then the Lord called him again. This time the scripture says, Jonah set out and went to Nineveh. As the Lord has said, first he prepared to escape, then he set out and went. In other words, with the same eagerness that Jonah rebelled against God, is the same eagerness he used to obey God. If we want real fruitfulness and holiness in God, then we need, we need to simply serve the Lord with the same commitment as we once served sin. When we serve sin, we didn't just serve sin. We didn't just indulge in sin. We didn't do it half-heartedly. We went all the way. When you're a sinner, you just do all kinds of stuff. You don't think twice. You don't go, oh, maybe I'll go party today. Maybe I'll lie today. No, you just did it without thinking. We need to serve God in the same way. We must not just serve God. We must, we need to serve God with zeal and excitement. When we obey God, we must not just obey but do so with all of our hearts. We didn't sin with half of our hearts. So in the same way, we must not walk with God half-heartedly. We won't sin with excellence. Let us serve the Lord with excellence. We must never just serve the Lord, but we must serve the Lord with joy, with delight, with all the gusto and strength we have within the depths of our hearts. We were once great at serving sin, let us be even greater at serving the living God. I really like that because of the fact that when you are serving God, when you are called to worship, the Bible says enter his course with praise and thanksgiving, right? When David was singing and dancing before God, he took off his shed. He wasn't thinking about anything else. He was thinking about dancing before the Lord, right? Let us 
worship God in the same way. That is what we are truly called to, the highest form of worship. That is what being a part of the kingdom is. We are a kingdom of priests, not just a kingdom of people. A kingdom of priests called to show forth his praise, called to offer up sacrifices. All right, I'll read the last uh, verse that we have for today, and then I'll relinquish the microphone. Michaela, you're going to read the last one for me. Luke chapter 14 from verse, uh, just verse 26 actually, not from verse. Luke 14, 26. Luke 14, 26. Cannot be my disciple. No, that it's just twenty-six. Yeah, thank you. Oh, you can read twenty-seven. Sorry. Yeah. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Thank you. So what is he saying? He's not telling you to hate people. He's just telling you that if you don't love me in a way that you actually hate everybody else, you can't be my disciple. That is the, the form of love that you will choose him, you will reject even your own self. Even your own self. And what does it mean to carry the cross every day? Some people don't understand what it means to carry the cross every day. They think it's, oh, I've been called to live that victorious life. I've been called to read the, leave that. Therefore, everything must come my way, must go my own way. If everything goes your own way, you're not carrying a cross. You're throwing away the cross and you're choosing your own flesh. The cross means crucifying everything that is contrary, that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ and who Christ is. Embrace his pain, embrace his suffering. Just like Paul says, let us go outside and bear the same level of shame on the outside. For the animals that are sacrificed are sacrificed in the outer courts. Let us go there daily, sacrificing our ego, sacrificing our wants, sacrificing the things that give us the pleasures of this world and choose to live a life that is a living sacrifice unto him. All right, well, it takes God, like I said, to expose, ex, ex, oh, what's the word? I can't remember the word. Ex, exponentially explain? I don't know. All right, well, it takes God to reveal these subjects to us. It takes God, the Spirit of God, to put us to a place where we are walking in love with him. Where we are walking with complete devotion to him. He takes his spirit to guide us on that path. So let us daily pray for the, an outpour of his spirit in us. That we will continuously walk in, for, in a love that is beyond our own understanding for us, oh God. Father, thank you so much for your word today. I pray, O oh Lord, that the words that we've heard will bear much fruit in our hearts and in our lives. I pray, O oh God, that you will come to word of oh, these words, O oh God. Let it not be our own uh, doing and our own strength, but, Lord God, let it be by your own spirit that we walk with you. We surrender ourselves to you. We surrender our hearts to you. And we ask, O oh God, that you will be with us, O oh Lord, and lead us in an path of righteousness for your holy name's sake. We worship you and we thank you for now. In Jesus' name. Amen.